Welcome to Operation Flourish, a podcast designed to help you flourish in all aspects of life. Whether you're a Miss America contestant, an athlete, or someone with a growth mindset striving to unlock your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Kayla Myers, Miss Northeast. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi friends, welcome back or welcome to, if it's your first time listening, to the Operation Flourish podcast. So last week I hinted a little bit at this episode, but today we're going to be talking about reframing your negative thoughts, because let's be real, we all have them. Reframing is essentially a strategy to improve your mindset about any area of life or it can help manage anxiety, as we discussed last week. This is actually such a timely episode that I was planning, and coincidentally, it just worked out with a lot of other things I've been doing. I started a butterfly effect project where I've been mentoring and helping women prepare to compete in the Miss America opportunity in their first pageants, or maybe they just felt a little stagnant. But during this process, one of the things I've noticed as I've been hopping on Zoom calls with several different incredible and accomplished women is that I'm hearing quite a bit about these incredible women struggling with negative thoughts that eat at their confidence, and I'd be lying if that's something I couldn't relate to. I truly think this is something we've all related to at some point or another in our life. And these thoughts, they often make us question our abilities, or they seem to ruin our days, whether it be before a big job interview, or when you're out on a date, or when things just seem to not be going right, and it's one thing after another. So, with that being said, let's just dive right into reframing. At this point, if you've listened to my episodes, you probably know by now that I love definitions. So, what exactly is reframing? Reframing, it's also known as cognitive restructuring. So this is just the really fancy counselor term that we use, but essentially cognitive restructuring and reframing are the same things. It really happens when you challenge and you change your thoughts to allow them to be more balanced and to improve your mindset. So I love this simplified example, and that would be that you identify the negative thought of, I'm not good enough. And that's step one. Then you challenge this thought of I'm not good enough by acknowledging, you know what, this probably isn't true. And how can we replace it with a new thought that's a little bit more beneficial to us? And this new thought could be, I am good enough because X, Y, Z. And I really encourage having that X, Y, Z because if you just say I am good enough, are you probably going to believe that? If you've been telling yourself time after time after time that I'm not good enough, just saying I am good enough, it might not be enough. If it is great, you can keep it short and sweet, but oftentimes it isn't. So I really encourage I am good enough because X, Y, and Z. And maybe that X, Y, and Z is I am good enough because I help other people as evidenced by this project. I try my best every day, and I believe all humans are inherently worthy, so therefore I am good enough. 
Those are just three reasons and whether it's one reason that truly means a lot to you or it's seven different reasons that really support that. Having that evidence can be so helpful and this reframe is going to look so different for everyone. But I really encourage you to think about what are your personal examples and reasons to help you actually believe this new statement that we're going to reframe. That's one of the best ways to help. So to better understand reframing, today I would really like to focus on giving you a process and it's a three-step process where you first, step one, identify your negative and automatic thoughts. These are the things that just pop up into your head when things are going badly. It's like they're always there, ready to go when everything's going wrong. Step two, challenge the validity of these thoughts. And when I say valid, I just mean, are they true? Are these thoughts that are going on your head really accurate? Like that I'm not good enough. Is that really the case? And finally, step three, change the way you view situations, experiences, events, ideas, emotions, and those thoughts. So let's dive into that a bit more. What does this actually mean? Starting at step one, when we're going through that model, ask yourself, what are your negative thoughts? You must identify them first so we can challenge them. It's really true what they say. If you're not aware, how do you know how to move forward? Awareness is truly the first step. So really take that time to reflect and think about What are some of those negative self-talks or irrational beliefs that I'm saying to myself? Because you hear that all the time. It's going to impact you pretty deeply. So the more we can be aware of them, the more we can now move forward and can enact change on them to help. So from there, step two. Now, there's a lot of ways in which you can challenge the validity of your thoughts. And today... I have quite a few sub bullets I'd like to introduce here because I have a few strategies that have been really helpful and I want to offer a few because chances are what works for one person doesn't work for the person next to you. So there's several strategies and every situation is so different. So I want you to feel like you have a large inventory of strategies, kind of like a toolbox. They are just ready to go for you. So here we go. All of these fall under... Step two, which again is how you can challenge the validity of your thoughts. Are these thoughts really true? The first strategy that I love is fact or feeling. So I want you to ask yourself, is this thought you're experiencing a fact that is backed by hard evidence? Or is this thought based on a temporary feeling or emotion rather than logic and fact. Oftentimes, we're going to let our emotions impact how we immediately react, rather than taking a moment to breathe and reflect on the hard facts and take a step back to gain a greater perspective on the situation. That's strategy number one again, fact or feeling. Another strategy I'd like to give you is called putting your thoughts on trial. Yes, on trial like a court case. I love this one and I use it with myself and a ton of clients. So first, I want you to think of one of your irrational thoughts or 
negative aspects of self-talk that you repeat to yourself over and over and over again, typically when things go wrong. Then, I want you to ask yourself, what is the evidence that supports this thought? What is the evidence that supports this thought? Now, this question, this is the defense in the analogy of a trial of like a court case. Now, you might need to pause as you think of that answer. But once you have that defense, that support for this negative thought, let's look at the other side. I want you to ask yourself, what is the evidence against the thought? Again, what is the evidence against the thought? This serves as the prosecution in our trial analogy that we have going on here. Again, get that answer. And then I want you to think, what is the final verdict when you weigh the evidence for and against the thought you had? This can be a great way to have this rationalized argument in our head and really put your thoughts to the test. This has helped me so much in situations where I feel like I am really in my head and I'm really stressed out and I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. And then when I really weigh things out, I realize, well, maybe this isn't how the situation actually appears. There's a lot of evidence that maybe I'm reacting off of emotion. That first point we said, that feeling aspect. Now, the third and final strategy under step two, I know, I promised I had a few bullet points here, but this one is challenging your thoughts in a way where it's decatastrophization. I know that's a mouthful, I'm pulling out some big words here. Decatastrophization. So essentially, this process of decatastrophizing works best when you can identify that you are catastrophizing. So we have decatastrophizing and catastrophizing. So to break this down, I want you to think about the word catastrophe. That's where this all stems from. And catastrophe, that means a tragedy or a disaster. Therefore, catastrophizing is essentially when you assume the worst possible outcome of a situation to be true. It truly is jumping to the absolute worst case scenario of what you feel could happen. So let's give you a tangible example here. Let's say you go through a breakup and you tell yourself, something is wrong with me. I'm never going to find love. And you have that thought because of the breakup. Another example of catastrophizing might be having a pimple break out on your face. I know I have like three right now after competition weekend. And you're thinking that everyone now thinks you're gross and you're ugly and everybody is staring at that pimple on your face rather than listening to what you have to say. Another catastrophe. One more example to really show you the extremes of catastrophizing that 
our brain puts us through when we're often feeling our emotions or we feel insecure. It truly puts us through this crazy loop of falling into these catastrophes and feeling as if we're so stuck. And you're not alone in that. So our last example here is you are so worried that if you get a bad grade on a test, you are never going to be successful or get a job because of that bad grade. Another catastrophe, am I right? Well, at least in our brain, we blow them up to be catastrophes. So how can we de-catastrophize these things? Let's challenge them. And here's a few questions you can ask yourself to start to challenge these catastrophes that our brains put us through. The first question is, what are you worried about? What are you really worried about? In the last example about fearing that you're going to fail this test and your whole career and chances that success are going to be ruined, what are you really worried about? It probably is a fear of failure related to your career and this fear that you won't be able to pursue your dream career due to your academics not being good enough. In quotes, because what really is good enough? And maybe that comes from not feeling good enough in other areas of your life growing up. Or maybe it comes from seeing people in your family not having been able to achieve that dream career and you're fearing that for yourself. Digging into what you're really worried about can be so helpful in identifying where these thoughts that aren't serving you are coming from. So next step, once you've asked that first question and you really start to dig, The next question is, how likely is it that your worry will come true? And as you consider that, do you have examples of past experiences or other evidence that supports this? It probably isn't likely. For instance, going back to that test example, there are so many successful people who have gotten bad grades. They've even failed tests. That's not ultimately the end-all, be-all factor. And being able to look at those other people can remind us that these thoughts are not serving us in this moment. Ultimately, your effort and your passion and your persistence and determination are far more important to your career success. So now you've gone through that question it's probably unlikely that the worry will come true. So the next question is, if your worry does come true, by some chance it comes true, what is the worst, the absolute worst that could happen? Again, back to the scenario. You might imagine yourself without a job and never getting into higher education. So again, Is this absolute worst-case scenario likely to happen? Probably not. But what is most likely to happen? Usually, reality lies somewhere between the best-case scenario and the worst-case scenario of what we imagine. I like to have my right hand be the best case and my left hand be the worst case. And if I smack them together, a little clap in between... 
it's usually somewhere in the middle. So most likely, when you interview for a higher education program or a job, you would get to share how you encountered adversity in this class and demonstrated your perseverance in learning how to overcome challenges within that class as you strive towards getting a good grade. And maybe you did or didn't get that grade. But you have the story to tell about the hard work, the passion, the dedication, those applicable skills that sell you as to why you should have the job or go to the next level of higher education. And oftentimes, that's going to resonate with interviewers because they want someone who works through tough situations and they don't always want a perfect person, 4.0 GPA, but they want someone who's real. So thinking about that happy medium scenario, it's usually never the best case and it's usually never the worst case. But let's say it is the worst case. Our next question If your worry comes true, what are the chances you will be okay in one week? What about one month? How about one year? This offers so much perspective. If you get the bad grade, chances are you're probably going to be upset the first week. I know I would be upset the first week. In a month, maybe it actually turns into motivation to do better on the next assignment or exam by trying to analyze what you didn't do that first time. Maybe it's going to office hours and seeking out help from that professor, or it's reviewing the exam and finding out areas where you struggled. So hopefully, you can be successful the next time around. And in a year... Maybe you will have probably forgotten that exam entirely as in regards to that grade. But maybe you learned really important lessons about yourself and your perseverance. This is so much different than that first automatic thought you had. That you're going to fail and it's going to ruin the rest of your career and any chance of you being successful. And all of that can happen... When we take a step back, take a deep breath, and start to ask some questions and truly dig into why we're having these thoughts that aren't really serving us. So, a recap. Those little strategies we have. Fact or feeling. Is there hard evidence as a fact? Or is it a temporary feeling? And that's where that thought's coming from. Strategy number two, put your thoughts on trial. Weigh the evidence for and against. Number three, our final strategy here to test the validity of your thoughts, decatastrophization. So many questions you can ask about best and worst case scenario. What's most likely going to happen somewhere in that middle ground? And if the worst case does happen, What does that truly mean? And will you be okay, especially as time goes on? Now, all of that fell under step number two. So again, going back to our three-step model. Step one, we're acknowledging those thoughts that aren't productive or helpful for us. Step two, 
we're challenging those thoughts. Are they actually valid and accurate? And we have those three strategies to do that now. Now, finally, our final step, changing the way you view situations. Now, this is the part where you actually do the replacing of the initial thought with a brand new thought and typically a more optimistic perspective. And again, in that example of saying, I am good enough as step three, but adding that X, Y, and Z as three reasons why you are actually good enough is so helpful. This will make all the difference instead of staying in a self-defeating mindset of I'm not good enough. If you tell yourself over and over again that I'm not good enough or I can't do this, chances are you can't. And that's why we need to shift our mindset because our mindset is so incredibly powerful. One of the quotes I love, and I actually saw it at my Temple Strength and Conditioning Gym. It was up on the wall. Whether you think you can or can't, you're right. So if you think you can't and you tell yourself you can't and you're not good enough, chances are you're never going to achieve it. Because that is now an undeniable belief in your brain that you're not good enough and you can't do it. But if we can shift your mindset to be so optimistic that I can do it, I will do it, and I am good enough, having that positive self-talk and feeding into that self-talk intentionally to be positive and optimistic, you're so much more likely to achieve that dream. Whether that be lifting a new weight and getting a PR, whether it be something in athletics or business, or for my pageant women listening, whether it be truly believing you can walk away with that crown or that talent award or top interview award that you've been going for, you have to believe it first. And unfortunately, I've encountered so many people in life who have that doubt that I can't do it. And it creeps in their mind all the time. I remember for the first time this past year, I truly actually could envision myself winning the title of Miss Indiana. And it gave me shivers. It gave me chills. It gave me all the feelings. And I hope whatever dream you have, you can start to envision that for yourself and see it so vividly to the point that you can say, in your thoughts, in your self-talk, that I can do it. I can achieve it. I am deserving of this. I truly do believe in the power of words, especially the words, I am. These are two powerful words. And if you can take control of your self-talk to believe these things, You can be undefeatable and you can have that unshakable belief and confidence in yourself. And that's the model I use for reframing. So now that you've heard about this three-step process, and I've listed some examples to start us off, I want to walk through all three steps, including all the ways we can decatastrophize and use feeling or fact and putting the thoughts on trial, all those sub bullets. Let's put it together. So here's a little example 
And I'm going to talk about sport, but maybe business or pageants or school or dating is more relevant to you. So you can substitute that out in your mind. But in this example, let's say you're an athlete and you're having a tough practice. You keep making mistakes on a new skill and you're tirelessly working towards it, but you feel like no progress is being made. You're just getting frustrated. So step one, take the time and identify the negative thoughts that seem to automatically appear as you're getting frustrated and stuck in this skill. You reflect and you find yourself repeating, I'm never going to get this skill. And also saying, I suck. I should just quit my sport altogether because I'm never going to be good enough. This first step is consciously noticing this negative self-talk. And again, once we have that awareness, we can move to step two. Step two is challenging whether or not these thoughts are actually valid. So to do this, Let's actually apply some of those strategies from above of factor feeling, putting your thoughts on trial, and decatastrophizing. All of these depend on the situation, emotions, and the specific thoughts as to which one or all of these strategies might be most helpful. So let's start with fact or feeling. It seems like in this situation of being an athlete, you're probably basing your thoughts on a feeling rather than a fact. Thoughts like, I suck, or I'm never going to be able to do this skill, or whatever you might be working on if it's not a skill in a sport. These typically come from feeling frustrated rather than cold, hard evidence about your capabilities. Once we can acknowledge it's not fact. We know this thought is probably not true and it's certainly not helping us. So all the more reason for us to change it, right? Now, let's put this thought on trial just to be sure, even though we're pretty sure it's not fact. So putting it on trial, what's the evidence that supports this thought that you're never going to get this skill you're working on. What is it? Maybe it's because you just did it unsuccessfully 18 times and you are so frustrated. Okay, that's absolutely valid to be frustrated. What is the evidence against the negative thought? Well, even though you're frustrated right now, you know you've struggled on skills in the past, but you've been able to overcome this struggle on past skills because of perseverance and asking for help so you could successfully master whatever skill or craft you were doing. You think about every skill that you currently can do outside of the one you're struggling on right now you once struggled to do, but you remain persistent. That's some evidence right there. Now, finally, 
you've thought about your evidence for and against. What is the final verdict when you weigh the evidence for and against that thought? Well, in this case scenario, looking at the evidence, it seems I have more evidence against the negative thought. Chances are, I'm just acting out of emotion and frustration from having these 18 or however many unsuccessful attempts. But I know I've had many unsuccessful attempts before and challenging practices when I was learning previous skills. But with perseverance and dedication, I have successfully learned and performed difficult skills in the past. So I can do this again now. It just might take some time and some patience, but I can do it. So third strategy here under that second point. Let's tackle that other thought through decatastrophization. That other thought was, I suck and I should just quit my sport or this skill altogether because I'm never going to be good enough. Now, this sounds like a perfect example for catastrophizing, wanting to quit altogether because things are hard. So how can we decatastrophize this thought? How likely is it that you won't get this skill if you keep trying? You've learned almost every other skill in the past through hard work. And when something really, really, really stumped you, maybe you found other alternative skills and changed your goals. And these skills were just as cool, if not cooler. Also reminding yourself, if you don't get this skill, it's not going to be the end of the world. It might suck and it might be really disappointing. But it doesn't define you and who you are as a person. You also have so many other incredible skills. Think about all the progress you've made and how proud you are of your perseverance. This can help you continue to persevere and avoid the catastrophic ending of just quitting your sport or trade or practice altogether. Now, this three-step framework is just a guide, but hopefully it gives you some more strategies that can be applied to so many other areas of life. I know another one that I just wanted to share briefly, a prominent example I hear all the time, is my clients share their anxiety about exercising in public spaces. They tell me how scared they are to exercise because they don't want to make a fool of themselves and they feel like everyone is watching them. So first, let's just validate this. It can be scary. And you're not alone in that, especially when you feel like it's not something you're very confident at or you feel you don't really know what you're doing. But I do want to highlight that despite this fear, so many of my clients have been able to work through this by realizing that they are not alone in feeling this way about anxiety surrounding others watching them exercise or whatever action it may be. And that most other people exercising, they're actually so engulfed in what they're doing at the gym that they don't even notice what others around them are doing 
And that's how we can reframe a situation and shift the way we perceive it. It's looking at it from a different angle. And again, this is just one of many examples. But I hope you're beginning to see how you can apply these tangible strategies to your life. Do remember, though, you have to try these strategies more than once, typically, for them to work. You can't just do it once and hope for it to change your world. But the more that you use these strategies, the more you rewire your brain and the more you make it habitual. So those are some of the best strategies. But before we end here, I really want to acknowledge an important question that needs to be considered when we're talking about this because I never want to come off as insensitive when I talk about these strategies. How do you reframe things to improve your mindset without invalidating how you are feeling and the situation you are going through? Now, we don't always just want to say, oh my gosh, everything's great when you're going through a really hard situation and repressing those negative emotions and strong feelings and thoughts that you have. It is so important to acknowledge them. And part of my answer to this question of how can you find that balance without invalidating how you're feeling in the hard situations that you're going through? For me, it comes back to mindfulness. And mindfulness is being aware of all of your thoughts and feelings and emotions. You know they're there, but the goal is not to judge them. Every single emotion serves a purpose. So if you're feeling it, you're feeling it for a reason. For instance, people think anger is a bad thing. Too much anger and uncontrolled and unmanaged anger, sure, it can result in bad situations. But anger can be really helpful. We use this example in counseling. If someone punches a little kid, you're probably going to be furious. But it's going to make you act in a way of protection for that kid most likely. And that's a great thing. Anger can breed a really helpful response in that situation. Sadness can help make us more in tune in our feelings and appreciate things in our life. It can also make us appreciate more of the good feelings, the happy ones on the days where we're not experiencing that sadness. All these emotions and situations have a purpose So it's so important to acknowledge them and not to fall in the trap of toxic positivity all the time or repressing your feelings. It's possible to be too positive because you're not actually ever acknowledging the problem. Yes, we want to acknowledge the problem, but we also just don't always want to sit in the fact that it's a problem, it's a problem, and it's a problem, and life sucks and everything's miserable all the time. Because then we really start to believe that. And we miss out on some of the glimmers of hope and the good things in our life. So it's a challenging thing to balance. But I truly say feel your emotions, acknowledge them. But try not to judge them as being good or bad or wrong or right. But how can you feel them? And how can you move forward? What's going to be most helpful moving forward? And I encourage you to continue asking some of those questions that we talked about. 
start to find your patterns as well. I know my sister, she uses this mood journal application that's on the phone for free. And it's called How We Feel. And this has allowed her to find patterns and become more aware of her emotions, of things that help her. And she's found that she really struggles on some days because of some situations. But she's found her coping skills of talking to me, family on FaceTime, finding things that help. I use my positive affirmations and have them in my mirror. The more awareness we have, the more insight we have to better handle those situations and get back to being optimistic while also not repressing what we're feeling. So overall, I hope you're learning to take control by starting to identify some of those unhelpful thinking patterns and realize that changing them, although it can be challenging and takes repetition, it can truly improve your life. It can make you so much more prepared to handle adversity that life inevitably will throw at you. It can help with the stress management and it can improve your mood, your mindset, and your mental health. And with that, thank you for listening. Check back in next Thursday for another episode to help you flourish in all areas of life. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Operation Flourish podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, leave a review, and share on your social media or with a friend. It goes a long way. See you next Thursday.